Welcome and thanks for listening to Texas Tech Health Check from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. We want you to get healthy and stay healthy with help from evidence-based advice from our physicians, healthcare providers, and researchers. Have you considered what happens to your body when you die? We have several options, but one we might not have considered is donating our whole body for medical training. To explain the Wild Body Program here at the TTUHSC Institute of Anatomical Sciences Wild Body Program are Dr. Carrie Gilbert, co-director of the Institute of Anatomical Sciences, and Jason Jones, director of the Wild Body Program. They talk to us about who qualifies to donate, how the remains are used, what happens after studies are completed, and how we honor these patients on Memorial Day. Welcome to our podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your expertise, and what you do at the Health Sciences Center? My name is Kerry Gilbert. I have a few different roles in the university, but my faculty position is in the School of Health Professions, where I serve as the Doctor of Physical Therapy Program Director, as well as Assistant Dean for Anatomy Research and Education. And then I have the tremendous privilege to serve as the Institute of Anatomical Sciences Co-Director, along with Brant Snyder. And my name is Jason Jones, and I'm the director of the Wild Body Program that is housed within the Institute of Anatomical Sciences here at the Health Science Center. My primary and foremost function is the facilitation of the enrollment, the intake, and the use and disposition of all of our Wild Body donors. I'm a licensed funeral director here in the state of Texas with additional training in anatomical embalming. I have over 25 years of experience in the field of death care. Um, I've served both the funeral home side of of death care as well as the anatomical side. And my primary function is to ensure that the donors and the donors' families' wishes to give to the next generation of health professionals is fulfilled in, a, in the utmost transparency and integrity, along with the respect that is deserved of these generous individuals. Well, again, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. What is the Wild Body Program? Is that like donating our body to science? Yes. Those two terms kind of go together hand in hand. When individuals discuss about donating their body to science, they tend to seek out a program that would register them as a future donor for that purpose. The programs that are established here in the state of Texas are governed by the State Anatomical Board of Texas and have been since 1907. So while I am the director over the Will Body Program specifically here at Texas Tech University Health Science Center, we operate under the guidance and the approval of the anatomical board. So we work as a facility on behalf of the anatomical board. Our primary goal is to meet the needs of those healthcare professionals in which we are educating here at the Health Science Center. There are a lot of different programs that are out there that an individual can donate their body to science to. But you'll find here in Texas that our anatomical board has quite a few 
entities like ourselves here, there are actually 11 programs that are associated and governed by the anatomical board, and all of us are within a institution of health sciences. We're not a individual organization just operating under our own incorporation. We are within a institution of higher education. How are the remains used? Primarily, the donors that come through our Will Body programs are utilized for the purpose of medical education along with some clinical research. Dr. Gilbert can expand being a professor and a director of one of the programs that are direct recipients and utilizers of our donors. There are several different schools that use the donors, and in our case, we typically refer to those as cadavers, but the School of Health Professions and the School of Medicine are the largest users of the donors here in the Health Sciences Center. However, we're looking at incorporating School of Nursing and the other schools to, to use the facility of the Institute of Anatomical Sciences. It was The institute was designed to be a university-level resource, so that's that's been something that's been helpful. It, it creates an interdisciplinary and collaborative view on anatomical instruction and clinical training. The the donors that we have in the space and that we use for our educational purposes might be used for the general education for anatomy. And so that is the first class for our health profession students in the programs of physical therapy, occupational therapy, athletic training, physician assistant, and our PhD programs. And then obviously School of Medicine, the, one of the first classes they'll take is anatomy. But we also have a number of programs for residency training that would work on surgical skill training or other emergency skill training that would prepare folks to go into the clinic with specific clinical skills. So as we think of it, it's an opportunity to practice a surgical or clinical skill that might be very invasive. Those can be practiced on the cadaver instead of in the operating room on a live person. So it gives a unique uh, skill training effect that's not found in all locations. And then, of course, we have the research component where we collaboratively work with other individuals across the different schools to perform anatomical-based research. Do different students work or study on different cadavers? Yes, the answer is yes. Uh, Now, as a cohort of students come into anatomy, they are assigned a dissection group And within those groups, they will maintain and utilize the uh, same donor for most of their session while they are in the course in class. Now they have the opportunity to also study from and utilize the other donors that are within the cohort of students that are within that course to learn from those donors as well. Because I say a lot that while we are all anatomically the same, we're all not anatomically correct, as you would see in a dissection manual. It's amazing how consistent the human body is, but there's always variability. And so that's the unique benefit of studying off of real human bodies is that you're going to see that variability and that sticks with individuals as they get into the clinic because they realize it's remarkably consistent but there are always differences between different people so it creates an understanding of how how we have to pay attention for those variabilities in anatomy is that why even with all the advances in technology that students can't just work on mannequins or simulation labs? 
while there are some great mannequins and simulations out there to give an individual a 3D perspective of a procedure, it's based on just one type of structural setup, if you will, of how it is built. So it is consistent where, like we were just saying, anatomy is not as consistent because of the variations in body types, body shapes, everything that's involved with that. So the realistic experience is very lacking because if all you've experienced is something that is uh, what we'll call just textbook, when you have that difficult case or that complicated case or that individual that their anatomy is not of the norm, it becomes a challenging situation for that individual for even just establishing, say, an airway on a patient because not all of us are structurally the same in build and stature. So you'd much rather that individual to have experienced that with an actual human body prior to experiencing it with a human body in an emergency situation. So that's, that's the biggest difference that you have. While you can learn the technique, the real world, world experience it would be still lacking at the time that you became a clinician. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think the other piece is, is that there's a difference between learning from a textbook, which is a 2D resource, or even we have some terrific apps that we use, and we use them in our facility. Uh, but we view those as an adjunct to learning from the body. The best resource that we have in our facility are the donors and the, the donor bodies. And if you really want to understand how the body's put together, how it works, how it functions, then it's best to be able to see it in three dimensions and see how one structure is located next to the other. I, from an educational standpoint, the students that I feel like struggle the most are the ones that try to learn words instead of visualizing anatomy. And so part of it is trying to get them out of an undergraduate mentality into a graduate school mentality of I need to I need to remember I need to see I need to visualize how this is put together so that when I need to use that information later it's there so I believe that the three-dimensional component and the visualization of anatomy the only way to get that in a clear picture is using the the donors how long does the university keep the remains on average for us upon the intake of a donor after their passing is normally between 14 and 24 months. Now we have two different, I don't want to say two different types of donors. There are uh, those that the families elect to have the remains, cremated remains returned to them upon the conclusion of our studies. And then there are those that have elected to not have them returned because they want us to utilize that donor to the fullest capacity and in as many manners in which we can possible. But on average, it's between 14 and 24 months from the time of an individual's passing to the time that we have concluded the use of that donor and are ready to return cremated remains to them. So what happens to the donor after the studies are completed? After the studies are completed for whatever attachment as far as educational aspect that the donor may have been assigned to, the bodies are individually cremated and uh, then we review their donor documentation to determine did the family elect to have those cremated remains returned to them or did they elect 
to not have them returned to them. For those that obviously had asked to have the cremated remains returned, we make contact with the family and facilitate getting those returned back to the family at that time. For those donors that the families have elected not to receive cremated remains back, we uh, have an ossuary at one of the local memorial parks here in Lubbock that we commingle those no return donors into that ossuary and it still is a place of rest for those cremated remains and also a place of for future family generations to come out and visit the site there at the memorial park who is eligible to donate and are there any age limits or any reasons somebody would be rejected I had always wondered myself uh, after entering into the anatomical side, you know, what those were and where did we start with these eligibilities. And I had the opportunity to actually see a letter that was sent out by the anatomical board in uh, 1907 to all the major metropolitan areas that there were in Texas at that time. And it showed me that our intake requirements still remain the same. The individual must be at least 18 years of age. The individual must be fairly height and weight proportionate. We're not looking for the perfect athlete, but there are certain proportionate requirements. They have to be free of any and all known communicable or contagious disorders. And then the body has to have not sustained any traumatic injuries that can stem from the obvious when you think of a traumatic injury but other things can also run its course you know traumatic accident you could have an open wound or sore that has not healed jaundice to an individual extreme amounts of edema can alter the anatomical settings of the body decomposition autopsy anything of that nature that could fall into that category but those requirements have stayed the same For the most part, there's been some added, obviously, with the increased knowledge that we have about diseases and disorders, but they've remained the uh, staple of requirement for all that time. If someone decides to donate their body, what steps do they need to take to make sure that happens? Well, the first thing that I always encourage anyone to do is, is to share that same decision with a a next of kin or anyone whom would be responsible for them at the time of their passing. The other measures in which an individual can take to ensure that that takes place is included in their will, that, you know, they would like to donate their body to science upon their passing, if acceptable, by, you know, accredited will body program or can be specific to even, say, Texas Tech Health Science Center, but also have an alternative that in the event that they didn't meet the requirements for donation, that alternative arrangements through a funeral home or funeral home entity locally to facilitate the disposition of their body. That way, whomever is responsible for them, whether they be a legal next of kin or an executor or someone who has been placed in that position by the donor, can still have adequate responsibilities and show that they have the responsibilities and the rights to handle the uh, final care of that individual. So with different disciplines working on the remains, can someone donate just some organs or for specific research into a specific disease? Uh, Well, it's kind of a two-part answer on that a little bit. 
as far as a willed body program receiving a donor for and utilizing specific organs for research, unless we had a primary physician or a specialist here at our institution that was doing a research project in reference to a disease or disorder, there isn't really any specifications for utilization of a specific organ. And oddly enough, there is really not a lot of national organizations that accept diseased organs as well for research. There are a few out there, but there's just not a large area for uh, whole body donors or deceased donors to donate just a specific organ. I think the one area that we might could mention at this point would be brain banks. And so the university also has the Garrison Institute on Aging, which has houses a brain bank. And that's one area where an individual might choose to donate the brain to the brain bank for specific study so that they look at at Alzheimer's and aging specific questions. But at this point, that's not directly related to the Willed Body Program here. That's a separate donation process that's really run through the perspective of a tissue bank. And so while we're in the same university, it's not part of the Willed Body Program. But as far as other organs, that's not something that we typically do. Correct. Yes. And, of course, organ and tissue procurement organizations are completely separate from a whole body organization because their component is for the purpose of transplantation into a live recipient. So their statutes, their guidelines, their requirements are quite strenuous to meet the need of the recipient. And at the conclusion of organ and tissue procurement, the families are still responsible for the disposition of the body after the harvesting of those specific organs that can be transplanted. Where with whole body donation, we receive the entire body, we utilize the entire body, and then we handle the disposition of the body. How can someone become a whole body donor? Is there a fee? Uh, In most cases, well, in reference to our program here at the Health Science Center, directly there are not any fees associated with us facilitating the donation once we take custody of the donor. Given that we are here in West Texas and the Southern Plains, we have quite a big geographic area that we provide care and service to our donors. So there are some smaller areas that we may not have resources that we can utilize 24 hours a day for whenever the time of need comes for some of our donors. So the families have to elicit services with a local funeral home entity to pick up that individual and hold them at their facility until we can facilitate the transfer of the donor here to our facility, which is normally just in the matter of a few hours, but upon an individual's passing, it is necessary to pick them up from their place of passing and get them moved to a different care facility than that location. So while the family may have a small monetary responsibility to a third-party agency that they've contracted to on their own for that service, for the majority, we're able to facilitate the majority of our donors' intake without any costs involved to the family. So at the end, what happens to the remains? 
Uh, as I mentioned just briefly before is, is that at the conclusion of our utilization of our donors, the bodies are cremated. Those that have elected to receive cremated remains back will receive those back. The Those that are non-returned will be irretrievably commingled in our ossuary. But annually, we have a memorial service that we hold at Rest Haven Memorial Park, where our ossuary is here in Lubbock. We hold that on Memorial Day at 11 o'clock annually. Due to COVID, we had to forego the in-person memorial services due to occupancy and capacity. But we are looking forward to, in 2023, to be back in person. But we take that day to have the opportunity to memorialize those that have given of themselves in the last calendar year. So those that passed from May 1st to May 1st are recognized during that memorial service. It is conducted not only by faculties of our institution, but also by the students who are the utilizers of our donors. And they are able to express their gratitude for the generosity of those donors. And it's a uh, a wonderful opportunity for the donor families to actually intertwine and commingle with the recipients of their loved one's gift because not everybody in the family may have understood or really were quite sure about the donation process. But after they have the opportunity to experience the memorial service and see the true meaning behind and the just the impact impact that it has had on the those that have benefited directly from that gift that their loved one has given and see how that's going to impact that individual for years to come. It's truly a uh, life-changing experience on both sides. Well, every year I have the chance to watch students as they start this process. It's usually they're pretty nervous on the first day, to be honest, but they go through a process to really learn and they, they grow to honestly really appreciate the life that was lived in this individual. And and if you if you listen to the students that are talking at the memorial service, Year after year after year, we hear people talk about the the dramatic impact that these donations made in the sense that they realized somebody was so giving of themselves that a student could learn and, and begin their career with the foundation of anatomy that they really needed. Personally, every year I'm blown away by the the generosity of our donors, and yet it never ceases to amaze me the impact that those donations make to our students. And I mean, we have we have students that are actually literally in tears while they're sharing their gratitude to these families. It's really a pretty amazing, amazing process to see them come full circle from nerves, nervousness the first day to tremendous gratitude toward the end of their career. And, and, and if you ask most health professionals who've ever been through a course like this, it makes a tremendous impact on them and, and they don't ever forget it. And, you know, and I would take an opportunity just to, to, to explain to the listeners how how valuable the Wild Body Program staff is. Jason Jones and his team do a tremendous job of caring for families. It's not just about that donor. It's about the donor and the families. And so they're, they're excellent at what they do. They take great links to protect the donor. When, when that donor's in our care and custody, these folks take that very seriously. And it's a, a really great thing to see that we, uh, I believe that our facility goes above and beyond to care for those donors and their families. And 
uh, people need to rest assured that they're in good hands when they come into to the Will Body program here. So, uh, so Jason, thank you for the work that you and your team do. It's really remarkable, and we're very thankful. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I couldn't have said it better myself. The donors are truly unique, and they are greatly appreciated. They have been just tremendous in the education of thousands of healthcare professionals over the time frame in which our program started, which a lot of people didn't realize that our Will Body program started at the same time our medical school started. So we have had numerous generations give back to the program. And to retouch on a question that you had asked earlier, while I had spoke about the steps that are necessary to ensure that an individual's donation is successful. I would like to take the opportunity to uh, let the listeners know that if at any time that they are interested in the program, specifically here at the Texas Tech Health Science Center, they can find us on our website. It's at www.ttuhsc.edu forward slash willed-body-program. They can email us also uh, with any questions that they may have at wbp.lubbock at ttuhsc.edu. And uh, they're welcome to call us at any time at 806-743-2708, and we will return your call and be glad to answer any questions. Our website is available with a multitude of Q&A, I guess you could say, and it also outlines the requirements for donation in the process. But we're here to serve and we will continue as long as we have the generosity of the next generation of individual that wants to give back to the health care of the future. Well, thank you so much for coming by and talking to us about this program. Thank you thank for you. having us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to Texas Tech Health Check. Make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts so you won't miss the next episode. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Texas Tech Health Check is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center and produced by Tierra Castillo, Susana Cisneros, and me, Melissa Whitfield. Music